Welcome to Chapter 7 of Nancy Graham, the Space Ranger. The adventure continues, and I can tell by Spotify that two E are following, or if it's not two E, it's two bots, in which case 01011001. Anyway, this chapter's a, a bit longer than the others uh, because it's kind of got two micro stories within the main story, and the main purpose of this chapter is to sort of acclimatize you with outer space and the goings on out there uh, so we can get on and uh, have some mad adventures on Jupiter. So, uh, right, here we go. Three, two, one. The lunchtime rush in a Martian canteen is a sight to behold, which ESA Mission Specialist Nancy McGinley and ESA Mission Specialist Bart McMurrow beheld for the first time. Their Martian Sheriff Companion beheld it for the 32,847th time. And truth be told, all three had greater things on their minds. Nancy had a desire to get to Jupiter and make contact with her mission commander from the San Lyca 1 spacecraft. Bart had food, and the sheriff had a question for the waitress-slash-manager-slash-space-travel expert they had come to see. Martina, he asked. Yes, replied Martina. I need you to abandon your job and possibly your life to pilot myself and these two Earthians across to Jupiter. So we can save those two numpties butted off and front, because they were too stupid to hide quickly when we ran into a Jupiterian patrol. And what's on the menu? asked the sheriff. Bontoglian stew. And what'll be in it for me? replied asked Martina. Yuck, I hate Bontoglian stew. Anyways, you will receive... Uh, I suppose... Well, I'll tell lots of people you're a great help. If we save but it on flirt. And sure, if we're all killed, it won't matter what was in it for you. Answer explained the sheriff. It might. But in any case, I agree. It's about time I took the rocket out for a spin. It's been lying idle for ages, agreed Martina. That's only because nobody in the right mind would want to leave Mars. Except if they wanted to find something nice to eat. But as we're here, and far from good food, we might as well have three buckets of the stew, explained the sheriff. Right, said Martina, who then turned to go back over to the hatch. Nancy felt the need to stop Martina. Although Nancy had come to terms with her newfound ability to kill and know the inner workings of Jupiterian spacecraft, she was unsure if Martina had just agreed to help them visit Jupiter or not. Uh, when you said right, Martina, did you mean you were going to fly the rocket or just get buckets of stew? Get buckets of stew, of course. If I was going to pilot the rocket, I'd have gone over to the entrance and walked through it. It's the only way I know to get to the Underdawn platform. Uh, sorry, what I meant was after the stews are eaten, are you going to pilot the rocket? Of course, but safety first. You know what they say, never begin an interplanetary journey on an empty stomach. Who says that, Martina? asked the sheriff. Nobody does. No Martian has ever left Mars before, to my knowledge which is probably as authoritative as things get on Mars. I just wanted to sound knowledgeable by throwing out an off-the-cuff saying, you know, to look cool in front of the extraterrestrials. Martina then continued on her journey back to where the hatch was so she could shout, Three buckets of Bontoglian stew! Now, in case you were wondering, Nancy Bart and the sheriff had gone back up to the first level of the canteen and to the same table as they had been sitting at in the previous chapter. At least it looked like the same table, but in any case, they had nowhere else to sit, as the place was very busy. Bart made a quick estimation and decided there were upwards of 250 Martians having lunch. 
They were spread out across dozens of tables and three floors, and the smell of food in the air was overpowering. It was the reason Bart did not dwell too much on the death of a bobblegubbersnatch, or his situation in general. Nancy, on the other hand, was only partially aware of the beautiful foodie smell in the air. She was mostly thinking of what she, and by extension Bart, would need to do next. The sheriff was not considering the food either. Like Nancy, he was only partially aware of the foodie smell, only he considered it to be disgusting, because the bulk of his thinking was diverted from reality by eight of the words Martina said, which were, just wanted to sound knowledgeable and to look cool. Those two things, sounding knowledgeable and looking cool, were vital to the type of Martian the sheriff thought himself to be, and to what he wanted other Martians to consider him to be. He decided, without evidence, that the other diners had overheard him asking Martina for help, and that they had also overheard him saying nobody has left Mars before, which may have made him look less than cool and knowledgeable. The sheriff decided that the best remedy to that situation would be to pretend he had indeed left Mars and, being the only Martian to have done so, was remarkably knowledgeable about outer space. Of course, there would be no point in pretending that to himself. He would have to pretend it to everyone within earshot. So he cleared his throat. <coughs> ah, Earthers, it is a very scary thing to leave a planet, as you will shortly find out. The deputy was terrified when we both travelled to... Um, Titan. The sheriff looked around to see if any of the other diners had heard. Even though he addressed Bart and Nancy, his focus remained on the middle distance, or at least the nearest diners that weren't Bart and Nancy. He cleared his throat again. <coughs> Outer space is a very dangerous place, one that I am unafraid of and know lots about. This time the sheriff's tone was serious enough to attract the attention of three Martians, or at least they turned to face the sheriff. Two of them kept eating while one spoke. Uh, is it? Do you? Asked the Martian who had paused his meal. Yes, I do. Lots. Especially about the time me and the deputy went to Titan, which was many dipples ago. More than anyone would care to remember in a time before rocket ships were created. So how did you get there? Asked Nancy. At first she thought the sheriff had gone mad. But his convincing tone and the hint of a means of contact in Jerry or Sanlaika too, or Art, briefly confused her. Bart set her straight with a kick under the table. Whisht! shushed Bart. Did you not hear a bobble back in chapter two? The sheriff is a very important man. And, like all important men, it is important for him to maintain his importantness by talking bollocks, which is what he is doing. Leave him at it. If there's one sure way to send a very important person loopy is to ask them questions when they are talking bollocks. It makes life hard for them. They don't like it and there is the real world possibility they could go mental. And by they I mean the sheriff. And I don't want anything to get in the way of lunch. And especially a lunch that smells like the food in this place. Nancy nodded. She knew that it would not be easy to get to Jupiter. And the first difficult step would be listening to a pontificating Martian sheriff. She also knew Bart was right about the food. <coughs> Anyways, me and the deputy ended up on Titan. And we were hanging out in an amusement arcade on Titan City. When a cartload of Titanians rolled by. And shouted that Martians smelled of rancid food. Wait. Did I say we were in an amusement arcade? I meant we were outside an amusement arcade. Otherwise the whole cart thing wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, 
I knocked out all of the Titanians with one spinning kick. No, wait. Uh, I didn't knock them all out. There was one still conscious, and he went to leave. And, well, you know how Titanian horses are. Uh, they're fast. They bolted at top speed w- with the lighter load. So I asked the deputy to hand me a lump hammer. The story was interrupted by Martina returning to the table, which reminded Bart that tasty food would soon be on the way. Every cloud has a silver lining, Nancy, noted Bart. You might be stranded on Mars with, if I'm being honest, a bit of a knob. I'm in no way of contacting your colleagues on Earth, but you have to say the food here is top notch. Nancy didn't have to say it, but she knew it. The food here is not top-notch, said the sheriff. It's not any notch. It's disgusting. The sheriff had forgotten about the story. The three other Martians who had been listening had also forgotten about listening and had turned back to their lunches. And so the outcome of an imaginary lump-hammer-equipped Martian versus scared titanium horse-drawn cart driver showdown would remain unsaid. Which was probably for the best. Martina sat down beside the sheriff, Nancy and Bart. Do you like Martian food? she asked. Yes, said Nancy. Yes, said Bart. No, said the sheriff. Well, two out of three is not bad, noted Martina. In fact, two out of three would be a great result, and so would one out of three, because both of the previous Martian extraterrestrial voyages failed miserably, she continued. Except mine, reminded the sheriff. Well, yes, replied Martina who then looked to Bart and Nancy. The look said, help me. Not in a desperate cry for assistance for survival, more a polite plea for assistance in steering the conversation away from madness. She got two blank stares in return. They may not have been what Martina wanted, but they were enough to inspire her to say, yes, Sheriff, except you, because you are uh, exceptional. Martina then winked at Bart and Nancy and continued talking. You see... When us Martians first went into outer space, we weren't really sure what to expect. I'm sure you two know all about that, but this is a Martian story. So if it is familiar, it's probably just coincidence. Anyways, the first Martian outer space expedition involved a crew of three. Captain Gungbalos Spudlanker, first mate Blanc, and a navigator called Elbron Chuntaliger. And all of three of them went stone mad. The launch, journey, and landing on Saturn appeared to go perfectly to plan. But it was shortly after they landed that things started to go pear-shaped. You see, they touched down on a Saturn very late in the day. So Captain Gungblaw gave the orders to prepare supper. They were just about to tuck into some rotten grub when a knock came on the door of the rocket. That's like what happened to us, noted Bart. Well, without the supper... Uh, and, of course, on Mars instead of Saturn. But Habobble did knock on the airlock, didn't he, Nancy? Oomph, replied Nancy. She'd been listening to Martina's story and didn't take kindly to Bart's interruption, but stopped short of telling him to shut up. Well, continued Martina, this was a different thing because it wasn't a bobble that had been knocking on the door, but First Mate Blanc's uncle Terry, which came as a shock to First Mate Blanc when he opened it as Terry had been dead since Scrumtallion Tree. Now, needless to say, Captain Gungbalaw wasn't long in diagnosing a case of outer space madness when she heard the news that First Mate Blanc had been chatting to his dead uncle. 
she decided to investigate. And sure enough, there was a door knocky in the shape of a Martian that bore a striking resemblance to First Mate Blanc. So Captain Gongbala decided First Mate Blanc needed to go to sickbay until the hallucination wore off. And the rest of the crew, namely Elbron Chantalagher, would fill in for First Mate Blanc. The only problem with that plan was that meant Elberon Chantalagher had to answer the door to the next caller, who happened to be the legendary and long since deceased Nanga ball player Charles Rantlepeck. Elberon was in complete awe and began scouring the rocker for things Chuz could sign. Captain Gungbala, who had been in the control room trying and failing to report the reanimated corpse of First Mate Blanc's uncle to Mars City, went to investigate and found herself startruck by legendary and long-dead Nanga ball player Charles Rondelpeck. The sight of Charles stopped her in her tracks and relieved her of her senses. So when Charles asked, Hey, would G3 like to go to a house party in the disco house? Captain Gumbala ran down to sickbay and excitedly explained the plan to first mate Blanc. You're never going to believe this, she said. Charles Rondelpeck has invited us all to a house party on Saturn's surface. In theory, First Mate Blanc, like any good Martian, should have been suspicious. But to be fair, he'd just been speaking to his dead uncle and was told he was stone mad, so just went along with things. And in this way, the crew of the first Martian interplanetary craft found themselves at a house party on Saturn. Or so they thought. The whole thing started to unravel when Captain Gungbala asked Chuz what Nangleball game he was most proud to have played in. And when Chuz said it was the time scrum Talion Ramblers played the Navy, Elbron, First Mate Blanc and Captain Gungbla simultaneously became suspicious. And Chuz revealed that he was actually a Saturnian entity that had tapped into their memories to create an environment comfortable enough to lure them from the rocket so the Saturnian entity's mates could rob the rocket. Elbron Chantalagor was the first to lash out. Captain Gungbla was the second. First Mate Blanc was too upset to fight as the news of his uncle's second death had left him sad and listless. In any case, there was little point as the moment they struck out against the Saturnian, Saturnian entity, it, the house and everyone and everything in it instantly disappeared, leaving the first three Martian astronauts in history stranded and rocketless on Saturn. Or so they thought. Turns out the rocket hadn't even left the Underdawn platform and the whole thing had happened instantaneously and also entirely inside their heads. That was when us Martians first learned how quickly outer space madness can set in, explained Martina. She cast her eye down to the hatch on level one where three buckets of stew had appeared and said, Well anyway, right folks, lunch is ready. It took her 43 seconds to fetch the buckets and bring them up to Nancy, Bart and the Sheriff. Lovely, said Bart. Yuck, said the Sheriff. What happened the second time Martians tried to make an extraterrestrial voyage? Asked Nancy. Well, said Martina, well, 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 I suppose the short version is that we are too smart for our own good. But I'm going to tell you the long version, because that's always the best version. And the last thing the listeners want to hear is the sound of ye tree slurping. So I'll cover over the noise by describing our really clever but not smart method for the second extraterrestrial voyage. The method had two components. The first involved selecting the three most physically fit Martians and locking them into the rocket control room. The second component involved filling them up with psychedelic drugs to counteract the symptoms of space madness. But, like all good plans, it went pear-shaped and failed miserably. Now, continued Martina, 
The tale of the second Martian extraterrestrial voyage is a tragic one and involves a fair amount of stupidity. So, just to preserve the dignity of those involved, you know, for their families and friends, I'm not going to name the people involved by name. So I'm going to call Bob Dabalong Space Trinaut 1, Mary McGurk Space Trinaut 2, and Zob Juntelberg Space Trinaut 3. So, anyways, the crew were 1.5 dipples into the voyage when the first hint of something untoward became apparent, in the form of a cantabular glimp in the cargo bay. Spacetronaut 1 spotted it on the internal monitoring system and ordered Spacetronaut 3 to investigate. And in this way, Zob Chutterberg found himself in the cargo bay of a rocket on the first Martian interplanetary voyage, with a contabular glimp for company. A particularly nasty one. As you can probably imagine, Zob, sorry, Spacetronaut 3 was none too happy, but was also smart enough to know to remain silent so the glimp didn't spot him and slowly but surely he silently crept back out of the cargo bay, leaving the glimp to be nasty on its own. The thing is, Spacenaut 3 was the type to hold a grudge, and to plot revenge, and also the type to gossip. He took every spare minute he could to tell Spacenaut 2 that Spacenaut 1 was a selfish flute, and would most probably cause the death of himself and Mary. So when Spacenaut 3 suggested Spacenaut 1 go and inspect a particularly finely stacked arrangement of crates in the cargo bay, Spacenaut 2 smelled a rat, and advised Spacenaut 1 of the same. Sorry, I'm getting all mixed up. What it was, was that Zob told the captain to go into the cargo bay, knowing full well there was a cantabular glimp in there, and Mary got suspicious and warned the captain not to go. So when Spacenaut 3 discovered that the captain wasn't actually going to visit the cargo bay, he decided to cut out the middleman and stab the captain to death. Mary came to the reasonable conclusion that she would be next and relieved the ship's armory of a crossbow and shot Spacenaut 3 dead. She then reported the whole incident to Mara City and turned the crossbow on herself. The thing is, just like the first mission, that whole lot had happened in an instant. So, in order to prevent further deaths, the Martian Space Committee decided to abandon the Martian Space Programme. Which wasn't a very big thing. It just involved me going back to work in City Canteen 461 and everyone else forgetting about the rocket. So I did, and they did. For the most part, anyways. I don't work during Scrumtullion festivals. Martina took a quick look at Bart and Nancy. Bart was too busy finishing his stew to notice, but Nancy nodded in response. Just to be clear, said Martina, if you two decide to move to Mars permanently, you can fetch your own food during the holidays. Is that clear? Yes, replied Nancy. But can I ask, why was it you decided to select the three most physically fit Martians for the second voyage? Asked Nancy. Ah, just to look good, you know, to make outer space travel seem trendy. It had a bit of a reputation for being nerdy. Still has, or at least it would have if anybody ever really thought about it. Which nobody does, present company excluded. Are you finished the grub? Nancy, Bart and the Sheriff all nodded. Right, said Martina. Let's head to Jupiter. Don't worry about the washup. 78 dipples in this job has taught me never to worry about the washup. Every single time I've left it, it's been waiting for me when I get back. Martina then stood up and headed down the steps to the first level of the canteen and over to the door. Come on, Willie, I'll do the driving. I suppose I'll have to, she shouted. The Sheriff followed, so did Nancy and so did Bart. And so it was for the late afternoon on the first day of the first humans on planet Mars. 
two Martians and two astronauts making their way up a dusty path to a slightly neglected and undervalued spaceport. On the way, they passed the bodies of four dead Jupiterians and one dead Martian. Poor old Habobble, said Bart for the second time that day. Was that Habobble? asked Martina when she drew level with Habobble's charred corpse. Yeah, poor fella, answered Bart. Poor fella indeed. He wouldn't have enjoyed that. Ah well, that's Jupiterians for you. We'd better be careful when we get there, advised Martina. How do you mean? I don't know. I suppose just not get killed. What are we going to do about space madness, Martina asked Nancy. Sounds like you're pretty with a crossbow, Nancy. If a glimp materialises into our heads, shoot it in the anterior vestibule. And if you're having trouble finding the vestibule, aim a bolt below its left runticle and you'll be sure of hitting the vestibule. Make sure you're facing forward, though. Right. Thanks, Martina, I will, replied Nancy. She had no idea what Martina was suggesting, but somehow it seemed like good advice. That's it for this week. Number 8 coming up next week, 8 of 56. And uh, a story only exists when there's a listener. So the story exists because of you. Fair play.